Glad you've chosen to be at Vertical Church on this Independence Day, a critical one in our history, in our future, and in our role as followers of Jesus Christ and understanding what it is that God has us to do in this day. On July 2nd, 1776, Congress voted to approve separation from England, the beginning of a new day. Two days later, the early draft of the Declaration of Independence was signed. And then four days later, members of Congress took the document and read it out loud from the steps of Independence Hall, proclaiming to the city of Philadelphia, and afterwards, they rang the Liberty Bell with the inscription on that bell from Leviticus 25.10 that says, proclaim liberty throughout the land and to all the inhabitants thereof. 245 years, America has been the longest ongoing constitutional republic in the history of the world. And that blessing has come from God Almighty. Founding fathers knew that. It's written into the history of our nation. John Adams said, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. He went on to say that because of that signing, that declaration, he said this day will be the most memorable and epic in the history of America. He said, I am apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. He saw it in line and on par with Christmas. He saw at Christmas the birth of our Lord, and he saw on this day the birth of a nation founded on principles of freedom. And he himself said it would be a day of deliverance by solemn acts of devotion to God Almighty. Those 56 founding fathers, which by the way, of the 56, 27 were trained ministers. It's in the history books. They took their pledge seriously in signing this declaration. They knew what stood ahead of them. They knew the dangers of putting their names to a document that would signal an end to the relationship they had had with England. And they had a motto for their day, like most wars do. We know, remember the Alamo. We know, remember Pearl Harbor. But the motto of their day is still the motto for us as believers. No king, but King Jesus. Amen. Mm. You know, liberty has always had its enemies. Not everybody's a fan of it. There are those who want to bring an end to it, who want to control others, who don't like the idea of people having freedom to worship, to live their lives, and when godlessness increases in a land, liberty decreases in a land. Because liberty 
is tied to godliness. And this is true. Whether we're talking about a nation or a home, or if we're talking about individuals in matters of faith. It's for that reason that we begin today with a verse from Galatians chapter 5 that reads clearly our call as believers regarding freedom and liberty. And I want to say up front, I know there are those who would say today that what we are doing here is a travesty, attempting to unite faith and a nation, attempting to elevate the cross and lift up the banner of our nation's flag. I would say to those who proclaim that, you know very little of our nation's history and you know very little of the Bible's command and Jesus' mandate that we live and pray and seek passionately for his kingdom to come and for his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen? Amen. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatian church, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. The Apostle Paul was talking about faith, but truth, as I've said before, is truth, is truth, is truth. And truth that applies in faith applies in family and applies in a nation. So when the Apostle Paul said to the believers, look, you have come out of a system of tyranny. You have come out of a system of slavery. You have been in bondage to the law. You have been in bondage to your sin. You have been in bondage to those who have tried to define who you are. But now, as believers in Jesus Christ, you have been set free from tyranny of the law. You have been set free from fear of God. You have been set free to live your life in Jesus Christ, in the personal pursuits he's given you and the freedom and the gifts he's given you. Now, in that freedom, in the freedom of being forgiven once and for all by Jesus Christ, in the freedom of having the Spirit of God come to live in you and you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, in the freedom of all of that, stand in that. And do not let anyone take you backwards to a place where you live out your faith with fear and tyranny and legalism and law and trying to define your worth in Christ by your behavior in Christ. I'm going to take this off right here, Hunter. If you'll mute my mic for one second. You can turn it back on. Nice. This little thing was bothering me, so thank you. All right, it was a windscreen, it was rubbing my beard, and all I could hear was, where were we? The Apostle Paul called us, us today as well, to live in freedom. Don't, don't listen to the voice of the enemy of your soul that would seek to put you back in bondage, that would tell you 
you have no worth unless you are perfect. No, I've been made perfect in Jesus Christ, and this is where my worth comes from. I've been forgiven, I've been set free. He calls me blameless, he's given me his word, his spirit lives within me, and I'll walk in that. And the Apostle Paul said, look, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. What Jesus did was so that you could be free, so that you wouldn't have to live under tyranny of your soul, so that you wouldn't have to live under the fear of the enemy, so that you wouldn't have to be a slave to your own impulses and urges and desires, but you could listen to the Spirit of God speak within you and he would lead you. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, stand firm. You are going to have to choose as believers to stand firm in that freedom. The Apostle Paul was saying, in your faith, in your family, in your church, in your land, stand firm in it. You're going to have to keep putting your foot down. You're going to have to keep saying, no, my sins have been forgiven. Stop trying to tell me they're, they're still held against me. I've been forgiven in Jesus Christ. Amen? Stop trying to tell me, enemy that my past is still out there and that God's gonna use that to punish me somehow. No, those have been taken care of, forgiven at the cross. Stop talking to me, enemy. I'm putting my foot down. I'm gonna stand firm in the faith, amen? And he said, don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. So in that day, when they wanted to plow a field, they would take oxen and they would put this wooden yoke around their neck and the master would drive the oxen to work the field. They were in slavery to the master. And Paul says, look, do not. Do not let yourself be burdened again. Don't submit to it. Don't fall prey to it. Fight, stand firm. Stay away from anything that would enslave you once again to who you used to be, amen? This same principle applies for us in Jesus Christ as it does for in life as well. It applies to our land. It applies to the situation we live in today. And our founding fathers knew this truth very well. They understood this verse. They read this verse just as we are today. And they assessed their situation. They recognized there were enemies of freedom our message today is entitled Seven Enemies of Freedom. I want us to think about seven attacks that are active in our land today that you and I as followers of Jesus Christ must be aware of. There are enemies, of course, that we have outside our borders. There are those who have clear intentions of bringing in to our freedoms. They want to enslave us. They want to control us. They want to take from us. And over the years, we have resisted them. We've taken up arms against them. We have fought for freedom in our land, and we have fought for freedom in other lands that they might not be controlled by the tyranny of selfish, godless men. Amen? But today, we face a different enemy. Enemies that are still, there are some enemies still beyond our borders, but I'm afraid the most destructive enemies are now within our borders. They are within our land. At first, it was difficult to identify them because they came from within. But this enemy is no less an enemy for it seeks to bring an end to what our nation has been for 245 years. 
This enemy wants to bring financial oppression, tyrannical leadership, godless values, and a way of living that is far worse than what our founding fathers sought to leave from England. Do you hear me? There is an oppressive force within our land today that is worse than what our founding fathers sought to leave. They are enemies. They are enemies of the way of liberty. They are enemies of our nation's past. They are enemies of biblical truth and faith. And for that reason, we must do what the Apostle Paul did and stand firm and refuse to submit again to a yoke of slavery. I'll just tell you up front where I'm headed today. There have been times in our nation's recent history where the church has taken the stand and said, oh, we need to pray. I would say again, oh, we need to pray. But I would say this to us today. This is a day of more than just say I'm going to pray. This is a day that you and I must understand who we are in Jesus Christ, what is up against us in our nation, and we must stand firm and refuse to be entangled again by a yoke of slavery. Okay? So I'm just telling you up front where we're headed today. My, my end, of the, end of the day goal is not for us to say, well, that was another good July 4th service. We just need to pray harder. Look, I don't want to say we're past praying, but we are past praying only. Okay? All right. Let's do this. Let's get started. Seven enemies of freedom. The first one today is rebellion against God's design for life. God is the author and creator of life. Our founding fathers knew that very well. They said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created, not evolved, created equal, and that they are endowed by their creator. There was and is a God. They knew that. They believed that. They knew that is where life came from. They understood that. And they sought to live their lives under his guidance, favor, and blessing. John Adams also said, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. What we have in place written by our founding fathers, was made for people who are self-governed by God inside, who live and pursue freedom, who live in worship of him, in recognition of him, and in honor of him. What is written was not made for another type of people. It wasn't written for the godless. It wasn't written for the immoral. It wasn't written for those who said, I will do what I want, when I want, and I will put my hand up against the face of God. It's not written for those. It's not intended for those. And the greatest enemy 
to freedom has always been rebellion against God. When a people rebel against God, they are saying, we are God. We will decide. We will choose. We will worship ourselves. We will worship our urges. We will serve them. We will sacrifice to them. And they will believe that they have the right to every one of those urges. As a result, in our land today, we have the legalization of murder through abortion. We have a land filled with hatred, a land flowing with pornography, homosexuality, transgender lifestyle, fluid gender lifestyle, and all of it seeking to be approved, justified, and legalized in our land. You and I see it every day. Just this week, for example, Disney just changed the opening statements that they make on their nightly firework display. It used to say, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, they've taken all of that away because they feel that language is too exclusive. And now it begins with the words, good evening, dreamers of all ages. There's a concerted movement today away from the founding principles of scripture and that God has established in the creation of life. There's a push to legalize every urge, justify every appetite, throw off all restraints. And we know what God has to say about that kind of life. Romans chapter one, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. The wrath of God. God has a wrath and God is still pouring it out against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in their unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. Hmm. Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like incorruptible man. They began to worship themselves. They began to worship their urges. They began to worship their appetites. They turned God into an image like a corruptible man and birds and all four-footed animals and creeping things. Verse 24 says, therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The scripture says, verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions 
For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And even as though they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful. It sounds like a description of political party today. It sounds like the description of the media today. It sounds like right off the pages of our day. All died in sure that when you when you walk and you elevate yourself, this is where you end up. Verse thirty-two: Who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. That's what we're seeing in our day. Not only are these being practiced. But people are seeking approval for them, and they are seeking legalization of them. This is the enemy of freedom. This is what brings tyranny upon our land. Number two, the second enemy of freedom is replacing self-governance with self-worship. Follow me here. National freedom can only grow out of personal freedom. Only when individuals are free can a nation be free. Only when people have the freedom to own their own property, freedom to not be excessively taxed, freedom to not be religiously oppressed, and when they're free in their own soul, when they're free in here, only then can they be free outwardly. When they are free from selfishness, free from being enslaved to their appetites, free from hatred and envy and greed, free from destructive habits and lifestyles, free from rebellion to authority, free from being enslaved to their feelings. Only when there's an end to that kind of tyranny can there be freedom in our land. But where there is slavery to sin... There is a loss of all things personal. When someone, an individual, is enslaved in sin, when he's consumed with himself, he has no responsibility anymore. He doesn't live responsibly. He doesn't live with integrity anymore. They don't live with sacrifice anymore. They don't live with a work ethic anymore. They don't live with faith they don't live with humility. They don't live with worship. They don't, work, they don't have a desire to serve anyone because they have put themselves on the throne. When you put self on the throne, when you replace personal responsibility with personal worship, you bring an end to freedom. Amen. Not just for yourself, but for everyone around you. And when a culture becomes obsessed with that, when men who should be strong leaders become obsessed with their luring lusts and the perversion of the enemy 
and they become weak-willed men. When they become unable to fight what's within, they become unable to fight what's without. And that's what's happened. We have a generation consumed with its feelings, its urges, its wants. And the last thing that they want to do is sacrifice for anybody. You can't have a community or a nation when the people are not free personally and live to sacrifice and serve someone else. There can never be unity when the individual's obsessed with his own urges. There can never be righteousness. There can never be hard work. There can never be innovation. There can never be a protection from other nations. There can never be the blessings of God. Closing paragraph to the Declaration of Independence includes these words. And for this support, or for the support of this declaration, and with a firm reliance of protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Can you imagine buddying up with anybody in the culture today that doesn't know Christ and serves himself? Can you imagine standing next to them and say, let's fight for freedom together? And they say, oh, I don't know. It's just uncomfortable. That offends me. You can't have a nation that protects and fights and serves and governs itself when it is so busy worshiping itself. And this is the second enemy of freedom. The third enemy of freedom is using offended groups as the basis for justice and law. Our nation was built upon the rule of law. Objective truth, black and white, handed down to us from the Bible. It was understood what was true and what was not. It was understood what was right and what was not. Noah Webster, who is referred to as the the schoolmaster to America, wrote, the religion which has introduced civil liberty is the religion of Christ and his apostles. This is genuine Christianity, and to this we owe our free constitution of government. He went on to say the moral principles and precepts found in the scriptures ought to, be, ought to form the basis of all our civil constitutions and laws. It was understood. The Bible was the basis for law. The Bible was the basis for truth. And upon that, laws were established in our land. Today, there is a movement that has been underway and it has taken full flesh form and is aggressively attacking that principle. Laws are being rewritten in our land today with a different definition of justice than what you and I understand coming from the Bible. Justice today is no longer seen as from God or even blind. Justice is to be blind. You recognize that, right? It's not to be a respecter of race or color or economic background. Justice is justice 
is justice. Amen? But today, everything is pushing that away. In its place comes values that come from Marxism, come values that come from critical race theory, that plot groups within our own nation against one another, that say the basis for all the problems in our land is the racial tension. They attempt to pit us against one another. They attempt to make that the point of conflict. And in so doing, they then change the laws to be based on race. So that justice, the living out of the law, the practice of what is right is defined by the color of your skin, the interest of your gender pursuits, your own sexual desires, your own financial background, the place where you live, those are now the defining points of justice. Equity justice, they call it. It's all based on giving balance and equity to the players that are involved. So depending upon your race, you might get a lesser sentence because your race is one that has more offendedness to it. They call it intersectionality today. The more sections and intersections you have that create potential offendedness in you, the more favor you get. So if you can show that you are a minority, that you are transgender, that you are disabled, that you are, we could go down the line, we could talk about economic background, where you live, depending upon all of that, the more of those intersections that you rack up, the more points in favor you get and the more freedoms and justices in favor you will receive. But if you don't have those, you're going to get a harder justice and sentence doled out for you. If you are able-bodied, if you are white, if you are a Christian, if you are middle income, you will face stiffer sentence. Justice is no longer blind in the new world. This is an enemy to freedom. Justice should never be based on the color of your skin, your sexual preference, your gender, the amount of money you have, or your physical abilities. The book of Proverbs says that dishonest scales are an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Leviticus 19, 15. You shall do no injustice in, just, in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. In righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. Enemy number four. Creating dependence on government instead of God, hard work, and freedom. As I mentioned earlier, there are those who would 
seek to turn our land into something worse than the very land we sought to leave in 1776. Socialism is the rallying movement today of certain groups within our nation. Socialism is not just a different approach to government spending. Socialism removes God as the center of society. Hear me clearly. Socialism removes God as the center of a culture, pushes it to the outside, lets you have a little bit of it as long as you'll practice it within the state's confinements of it. Socialism removes the reward of hard work. This nation was built upon the concepts and freedoms and truths that when you work, there is reward. And the government is established to help you work hard, to help you own property, to help you have possessions and not excessively tax you to take away what you have earned. This is what our nation was built on. Socialism attempts to strip all of that away and remove the reward for hard work, to remove personal property ownership, to remove low taxes, to remove liberty and freedom, and to remove truth and righteousness, but instead create a dependence upon government. For the government is now the savior. The government is now the one who can balance all ills, solve all rights, and determine the best way for you to live and put everyone in a place of economic prosperity, they would say. They seek to increase restrictions, increase social interaction, or restrict social interactions, increase government control of the society, and increase restrictions against our free expression of religion. Our own Declaration of Independence was written against government overreach, power grabbing, forced compliance, controlling religion, and against the tyranny of a government. There's a movement today, however, and we're seeing the results of it. If you've driven down any of our city's main streets recently, you know the number of now hiring signs that are out. You know when you go into the stores that service today is terrible. Hello? It's true. Because the government has robbed the will of the people to want to work. They've stolen away life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness by making themselves God, by making us servants to them, by robbing people of desire to work hard and to own and pursue a life. Now, people are more willing to sit home and get a check from the government and be happy with it than get out and work hard and have a sense of purpose for their life. It's happening. Benjamin Franklin knew that there'd be a danger if that ever happened. Benjamin Franklin, in his day, said, when the people find that they can vote themselves money, that 
will herald the end of the republic. A republic is a, a place, a system, a people who are pursuing their own personal freedoms, ownership, and work. And the government supports that, frees them to do that. But the day that the people decide, I will get the government to pay for me and support me, Benjamin Franklin knew that would be the end of the republic. It would be the end of the rights of the individual. It'd be the end of work ethic. It'd be the end of freedoms. It would be the end of personal ownership. And when the will to fight, work, own, possess, to conquer, to rise up, to do better, when that will is subverted, it signals the end of a republic. Enemy number five. Cultural voices opposed to American history and Christian values. There are voices at work today in our land. And boy, they are shouting loudly and proudly and boldly, and they are doing it everywhere they can. These voices seek to normalize what you and I know of as perversions and deviant lifestyles. They are doing their best to paint it as normal, regular, the routine, what's expected, just part of the culture. This is what they are about, to normalize deviant lifestyles. But they're also doing something else. They're normalizing that and they are demonizing us. They are saying that we who speak truth, that we who speak out against sin, that we who speak out about the lifestyle and the political environment I've discussed today, that we who speak out against it are the ones who are causing the trouble today. They say we are the ones that use hate language. They say we are the ones who are stopping progress. They're normalizing deviant lifestyles, they're demonizing us, and they're specializing in the minds of children. Mm. They know they can't get me and you, but boy, there's an impressionable group that is growing up today and they are specializing in targeting them, in monopolizing the opportunity for spreading their message. No longer can you and I as Christian parents and grandparents assume that Saturday morning TV is a safe place to set your child while you go do a few things in the kitchen. Hey, I grew up in that age. I grew up in it watching the Pink Panther on Saturday mornings, hello? Yeah? Uh, Dudley do right, Pink, uh, Pink Panther, Pink Panther, uh, Roadrunner, Elmer Fudd. I mean, you can just go down the line, you know, some of that stuff. You could just put your kid in front of it. At least my parents did put me in front of it. It's like, help yourself, you know, and they wouldn't see me from 10 till noon because I'm watching that stuff all morning long, right? And we did some of that with our kids, but things started changing. We recognized even in the 90s for us when we're raising our kids, something 
is happening, we better do something here. We better change the pattern. We better change what we're doing because today there's a narrative being taught. It used to be that you could put your kids in front of Blue's Clues and let them watch. Parents, do not let your kids in front of Blue's Clues anymore. Hello. If you hadn't seen it, you need to go without your kids and go watch it on YouTube, and you'll know what I'm talking about. You can no longer just assume that it's safe for the world to program and speak into our children's lives. If you and I are not intentional about guarding and protecting and speaking truth into their life, providing as much Jesus, comedy, cartoons, discussion, interaction, teaching, training, if you and I are not doing that, we will lose in the battle because the world is being very intentional about it. They have a narrative, they have a story, and their work is well underway. It's happening in media, it's happening in cartoons, And I hope, I pray, you don't ever just hand a digital device to your kid and say, just watch some YouTube for a while, you'll be fine. Lord, help us. All it takes is a click, and you're off into something devastating, tragic, alarming. Guard, you must, because there is a system in place today. There's a system of education, there's a system of indoctrination, there's a system of media that is at work today, even in education systems, whether it be public, private, and I'll even include Christian in it, because nothing is safe anymore. Stay with me. It used to be that this nation had an education system founded on the ideology the pursuit that we want our children to understand the Bible, therefore we will teach them how to read and write. That is what our founding fathers established an education system upon. When they taught them the ABCs, they knew, A, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's how they knew the alphabet, was by the scripture. They understood life from the Bible. But today, things have all changed And I recognize there are good Christian teachers in some good schools in our area. I praise God for that. Whether they be public, private, or Christian, charter, whatever. But there is a move today. There is a movement. There's a philosophy today that also crosses the gamut of the educational systems to rewrite our nation's history to say that we did not begin in 1776, we began in 1619. Perhaps you've heard of the 1619 Project that attempts to underwrite and rewrite history in the lives for our children's lives so that they would think that America is inherently evil, that America began as a slave nation, and that we are corrupt, thus reinforcing their critical race theory, their Black Lives Matter, all of those movements, it's all packaged together, attempting to cause division and hatred in our land. And we must be aware. We must be keen on these as Christian parents. Deuteronomy 6, in the law, followers of God were taught that these words which I command you today, God said to his people, shall be in your heart. 
and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Faith parents were to be intentional about showing their children we live as a people serving God. Therefore, we will talk to you about his ways. We will teach it in our homes. We will not rely on someone else to do what we have been given the mandate from God to do. And you may choose someone else today to help you in the process of educating your children. Whatever format you take, remember, the mandate is to us as parents first. Do not abdicate to others what God has given you. And if you send them somewhere, see that they support what you believe and live. And talk to your children. Lead them. Because there's a move today to take away history as we know it. To paint our founding fathers as immoral. To say that we were not a nation that began on biblical faith principles. Do not believe those lies. Number six. An enemy of freedom is silencing Christian voice. As I mentioned earlier, the tactics of the enemy have changed. Uh, it used to be that uh, for decades there was a, a mocking of the Christian voice and there was a, a resistance to and the debate of but it's changed lately. Perhaps you feel it in the air almost. Perhaps you sensed it um, in recent election activities where all of a sudden those who hold up the banner of faith and hold up the banner of the history of our nation, they've become, we've become to them all of a sudden the enemy. We are now demonized our voice is labeled as hate language. They paint us as the resistance. They paint us as the enemy of freedom. They say we are the ones who stand against homosexuals, that we stand against transgendered people, that we stand against those from other nations. But let me say this and let me say it clearly. As a follower of Jesus Christ, I can be opposed to homosexuality and I can love the one who struggles with it. I can be opposed to transgender lifestyle and I can be in favor of and support and love the one who struggles with it. I can seek to take the gospel to them. I can seek to counsel them. I can seek to free them and bring them into the full faith that's in Jesus Christ and then be free from their sin. I can hate the sin and love the sinner in the midst of it. Amen. Don't let the world tell you you can't do that. It's what Jesus did. He despised the shame of the cross, Isaiah said. He hated all that it represented. He hated all that it was. But because of his great love for us, 
He went to that cross. He bore our sin so that we might be free. Last I checked, at that door over there, we don't stand there and scan people when they come in to say, sinner or non-sinner? Sinner, sorry, you can't come in. Hello? All are welcomed here. Whatever your struggle is. We invite you to come in and find the grace and the hope that are in Jesus Christ. Now, if you're going to come in here and be resistant, if you're going to come in here and be loud and aggressive, if you're going to come in here and make a scene against what we believe, we'll show you to the door. Come on now. Nothing wrong with that. But if you come in that door and you say, hey, I'm struggling. I'll say, let's talk. I've done that with people that have come in that door. We're all in that boat, hey, right? We've all come in that door with a struggle. And you come to me and say, I struggle with temptations of homosexuality. I say, let's talk. There's a way of escape. There's freedom. And there's love for you in Jesus Christ. Amen? So don't let the world intimidate you today. Do not let their threats or name-calling cause you to withdraw. Do not let their intimidation cause you to pull back, hide, run, or be silenced. Look here. Jesus was incredibly direct, assertive, and often very offensive to the crowd in his day. So offensive that on numerous occasions, the crowd chased him out of town, tried to stone him, push him off a cliff. They even had him arrested, falsely charged, crucified, They did all of that because of what he had to say. And Jesus didn't pull back from it. He wasn't afraid of offending someone. He would talk to the people of greatest religious position in a city in front of other people and say, you guys are a bunch of snakes. You are a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You are full of death. He did that stuff publicly. He did it right in front of other people. He offended them. He wasn't afraid of it. And Jesus didn't silence himself until a garden moment where the father said, now has come the time where you will become an offering for sin. And in that moment, Jesus hushed his mouth and he went silently before his betrayers. Are you with me? But not until then did he. Do not fall for a narrative today that tells you as a Christian, you must be silent, weak, wimpy, or run from the battle. That is not what this day is about. 
That is no longer what is at issue here. You know what happened on this day in history, right? A declaration of independence was signed. A statement, a declaration. They got together and said, no more, no more, no more tyranny, no more oppression. We will live free. And against all odds, they signed their names. They signed a death warrant. And they said, we will put our lives, our livelihood, and our possessions together toward this end. And they wrote these words. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle them, a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare that cause which impels them to separate. This is the day you and I must know our cause. Our forefathers fought for it. It was handed to us, and we don't realize the gift that's in our hands. And now it is time that you and I must be willing to do what they did and have a declaration that says, I will live free for my sake, my children's sake, my grandchildren's sake. We will live free. Thomas Jefferson said that all tyranny needs to gain a foothold is for people of good conscience to remain silent. Our last enemy today in our discussion is the inciting of anarchy against righteous law and authority. You see it. It's in the news. There's a push today, a push that is subtle and sometimes not so subtle, a push that seeks to encourage people to destroy property, to defy the police, to defund police in our land. It's all part of movement, part of a movement of anarchy, to cast off all restraints, to demonize the voice of the righteous, and to capitalize on making all authority seem evil to take the actions of one person in authority and demonize all in that same service. And this movement all has purpose, I hope you know. What is happening in our land today is not by accident, it's not by random coincidence. The very strategy has been written in a script by Saul Alinsky, who gave these eight points. You tell me if it does does not describe where we are today. If you want to take a people from freedom into socialism and communism, here are the eight things you do. You take control of health care. You increase poverty and dependence on the government. You increase national debt and raise taxes. You increase gun control so the people cannot defend themselves and so that you can create a government police. You make people fully dependent upon welfare. 
You control all the education. You restrict and limit religion. And you create cultural, racial, and class warfare. When you have done that, you will have set the society for a great change. You'll have broken the bonds of freedom and liberty and a capitalism way of life. So you look at these seven enemies and you think, wow, they all seem to be on the prevailing side right now, at least from what we see in, the, in media. They seem to be gaining ground. They seem to have the upper hand. But I remind myself and I remind us today that while they have taken their positions in places of authority, there is a God who sits on the throne with all authority today. There is a God who knows and sees all things. There is a God who sees their hearts, who sees their plans, who knows what they are up to. And there is a God who sees and knows his people. And he will not forsake us. He will not leave us. His promises are true. And he will fulfill what he has begun. And he's looking for a people who will believe that and walk in that. That's why I say to us today, this is not our time to be silent. This is not our time to be hopeless. This is not our time to be despondent. This is not our time to run and hide. This is not our time to be passive. This is our time to know our declaration. This is our time to come together. This is our time to not let them tell us we can't meet. This is not the time to separate and let them divide us. This is our time to gather. This is our time to be God's people. This is our time to seek him. Because in so doing, we will be doing what God has promised that he would do. The book of Isaiah 59, it says, When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. That standard is the church in this day. That is us. And the Lord is raising it up. The Lord is putting confidence in our step. The Lord is building faith in us. And that's why I say it is not time to be silent anymore. This is our time to do what God has called us to do. To know the enemy, but know our God. To know the truth. To know our declaration. And to stand in it. Fight for it and proclaim liberty throughout the land once we have attained it. Amen? Amen. As we close today, I want us to pray for those in law enforcement. Because of this spirit of anarchy that is afoot today, those in law enforcement are under greater attack than I've seen in my lifetime. And they stand on the, the forefront. They are risking their lives daily for the freedoms that you and I enjoy. And I look at some of the news reports from some of the cities in our land, and I wonder how in the world are those men and women still getting up and going to work every day? Because they're not getting the support from their officials. They're not getting the support of the people. The only thing that would give me any confidence that they must have a sense of right inside and that gets them up every morning to do what they do. So today, uh, 
if you were in law enforcement. I recognize in a day like this, it's the last thing you want to do is be recognized in a crowd of people. But I would say to you, this is safe ground right here. This is sacred ground right here. And the church of Jesus Christ at Vertical Church stands with you to support you, to pray for you. So if you're in law enforcement, would you just stand this morning? All right. If you are here, would you like to come stand down front, please? We have two of our officers from Ovilla here. Joey, who we get to see every Sunday morning stand out front, is here. Yeah. standing as we pray for these they put their lives on the line every day I'm grateful that they are here to help us be safe on a Sunday morning amen I'm grateful for the number of folks in this room who are also helping us make sure that we're safe every Sunday morning because they got something special on their side or in their purse or in their pocket amen pray for these men. Heavenly Father, what a day in which we live when there is such a spirit of evil that is rising up against all that is sacred, all that is holy, and all that is just. God, I thank you that you have men and women who have You've put it into their heart to assume the position of being law enforcement, of reinforcing the laws of a land, of all that is righteous and true and just. I thank you for these who provide safety for us here in Ovilla, Waxahachie, and around our Metroplex, and around this community. I thank you for each of them I ask for you to bless them, guard them with your angels as they go. May they have a spirit of truth about them. May they be protected to stand and proclaim truth, to bring those who would seek ill upon our community, that he would bring them into custody, that they would see them brought to justice. And God, I pray for a return of justice to our land, a sense of right and wrong and truth a sense of righteousness that would call men and women to repent, to return to you, that our land might be a place of your blessing again. So we pray that protection upon these. And we pray for our nation today. And I pray for us as the church that we would be filled with a spirit of power today we would sense your spirit rising up within us, lifting up a standard against all that is evil and ungodly today, that we would stand in that and refuse to submit again to a yoke of slavery. We pray all of this in the strong and the powerful and the mighty name of Jesus who came to set us free that we might walk free 
And in all of this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Blessings.